John Culp here in Lafayette, Louisiana, and I've been doing a series of interviews for Hacker Public Radio. Started with my dad, which we released not on Father's Day, but very close to Father's Day. Then I did one with Jezra about Blather, and then uh, a conversation with NY Bill when we were visiting New York a couple weeks ago. And today I have another very special guest right here. It's my son. Hey, buddy. Hello. How's it going? It's going well, thank you. All right, so this is Hacker Public Radio, and so I'm curious as to what, how would you define a hacker? What's a hacker? A person who cha- who changes something to suit their personal needs. Yeah, so it's not an evil person who like logs into servers without authorization and steals stuff? Not necessarily. Okay. About in the how about in the books you read and the shows you watch and stuff? How do they normally portray hackers there? Hack, um, hackers are people who go into systems without permission to do something. What do they normally do? They normally erase something, download something. Um, they deal with some sort of data mm-hmm. that they shouldn't have. Yeah. Okay. But you have a different view of what hacking can be, correct? Yes. Now, why is that? Because um, I am a hacker, and (laughs) I honestly do not know how to illegally log on to a server. Nor do I. I consider myself a hacker as well, but I have no idea how to crack into things. Uh, Sometimes the people in the hacking community like to distinguish between hackers and crackers. The crackers being the bad guys, and the hackers being... The ones that are fighting for good. So, um, what what is something that you do as a hacker? Well, um, I cook, which is a gri- which can easily be defined by hacking because you c- because you adapt in almost every recipe that you make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've often thought that my mom is a, a great hacker. She. She's an excellent cook. She can make anything out of anything, for one thing. But, um, yeah, when you're cooking, you're almost always going to modify it a little bit to suit your tastes, and that that's definitely a kind of hacking. Now, you don't like to take stuff apart, do you? I love taking stuff apart. <laughs> what? Um, what good does that do to take something apart? One, it's something to do, and two, I can see all the guts in it. Yeah, and what do you do after you see the guts? Um, I either throw them in a, I either throw them in my in a cluttered drawer or try to put it back together again. Yeah, have you ever put something all the way back together and have it still work? Yes, I have. Yeah, good. Though I do have um bits of an old telephone I ripped apart. There are bits of a lot of things over there that uh, you've taken apart that are just pieces in a drawer. So what's going to happen with all those things? They're probably going to sit there until I figure out what to do with them. <laughs> okay. I remember uh, almost any time something in the house breaks down and it looks like it's not going to be usable anymore, you're going to ask whether you can take it apart. Yes. And this is good. I remember one thing you asked about once. We, the, do you remember the time when our, this is going to sound really dated now, our VHS tape rewinder broke? Remember that? It wouldn't work anymore? No, remember I, that little I don't thing? remember that. I remember, yes, I remember using it. You push it, 
you put the tape in and then you push it down and it makes this really cool whirring sound. Yeah, and it, it rewinds the tapes for you. Um, some people would question whether this invention was ever really necessary because, of course, the VCR itself would rewind the tape. But uh, the makers of these rewinders claimed that you could save the wear and tear on your VCR if you'd use this separate device to rewind the tapes. Uh, anyway, we're getting a little bit off track there, but ours broke at one point, and you wanted to take it apart, and I said, that's fine, so you took it apart, and what we found in there, do you remember what we found when we took it apart? I believe we found a broken belt, which we fixed, and it started working again. Yeah, yeah, once we found what the problem was, you open it up, and you can find out what the problem is sometimes, and so we saw that the belt was broken, and we happened, in Lafayette, Louisiana, we have maybe the best belt store in the whole world and i'm not exaggerating it's, it's called the belt store and they they have a website online and I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to it but they serve customers all over the entire world they've got a map up on the on the wall in there have you been there with me um i think i, I think i was there once i got um this little mini calendar but i can't remember what it looks like though i believe they have belts like really really big belts for like tractors and stuff yeah they're good not not tractors tanks and stuff well all kinds of oil field equipment like any anything that requires a belt they've got a belt for it and that's why they serve customers all over the world it's a very unusual store uh grandpa when he comes to visit us he'll he'll bring a list of belts that he needs to buy for the various tools he has and they always have them at really good prices but anyway, so we took the broken belt to the belt store, and this lady that works there at the counter put it on her little measuring device, and I would say in under 60 seconds had a replacement belt in our hands that cost maybe $3, and so we bought it and took it home, put it back together, and the thing worked again. But alas, I was kind of disappointed that I didn't get to rip it apart. Oh, well, there are other things that you did get to rip apart. Yes, many so. things. Taking things apart, that's one of the fundamental ways to become a hacker, right? Yes. And for those of you without, out there with little hackerlings, it is a great <laughs> way to get them into physical hacking. Yeah. Yeah, if you've got kids uh, and you need to keep them busy and want to get them interested in this kind of thing, just uh, go to a yard sale and buy an old VCR or something. And there's nothing real. Yes, there's nothing really quite like taking a circuit board out of something you just bought yeah. for about three hours. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Even so, you know, when I bought my new laptop uh, a year ago, I don't think I'd had it for more than three hours before I had taken the keyboard off just to figure out how I could. Because like, I wanted to see what was under there. And so I, I just can't help myself sometimes. I've got a shirt from Think Geek that's, what does my shirt say? I avoid warranties. Yeah. And below it, there are a series of screws that they use to keep hackers out. Yeah, they, they've got the images of all the various security screws that companies have tried to use to keep hackers from opening up stuff. But uh, get the right specialized tool set, and you can get past that stuff. Um, so why don't you tell the audience what operating system you run on your laptop? I run Linux, and I run Crunchbang Linux, and I really don't like Windows. You don't like Windows, how come? Because it's co- because it's flooded with viruses, and honestly, it doesn't work as well as Crunchbang does. Yeah, um, we do have. You've got a couple of laptops, right? And one of them has a Windows partition. What's it good for? Playing playing video games, and that's about it. Yeah, he's got a. 
an old Toshiba that dual boots Crunchbang and XP. And the XP partition is perfect for playing these old PC games that we'll pick up at yard sales or the thrift store or something like that. But his main machine is a, a Dell XPS 1220 or something like that that runs just Crunchbang. So do you find Linux easier than Windows or harder or what? Well, I'm not used to I'm not used to Windows as I've never really run it. So, um it's so um it's really hard to say whether it's easier or not. Mhm. I've often thought that you know people will sometimes say that they can't run Linux because it's too hard. But kids, if you if like I mean, you and your sister, the only computers you've ever had have run Linux, and so you don't really get used to one thing and then have to learn a new thing. And so for you guys, it's it's easy. And I remember one thing that one day I we really made your eyes light up. And too. Oops, I'll have to delete that. I'm going if I accidentally slip and say my kids' names, I'm going to be using a funny sound to cover over that. So that will explain the the sound I just used to. Uh, cover up their real names. We're going to protect their identities here. But remember the time that we took both of your laptops and created different splash screens for the boot process? So instead of flashing the crunch bang symbol, it, it flashed an image that you had made yourself? Yes, that was very, that was really very fun. And I keep forgetting to ask if we can do it on my new laptop. We can, for sure. What what did you use to make the image? Do you remember? I used GIMP. GIMP, all right. Yeah, my kids know how to use the GIMP. Uh, both of them. Uh, you're How old are you? I am 12. Yeah, you're 12. Your sister's 9. And this was probably a year or two ago. So they, they've been using GIMP since eight, seven, eight, nine years old. And uh, can do some basic stuff with it. I really like it. But what we did was we went into the Plymouth... Um, I don't know, what, what is this thing called? A boot manager or something? But there's a graphical thing that you can use to cover up all of the terminal output when you're booting. And on the default inf installation of CrunchBang, I think it just flashed, it kind of pulsed on a, a crunch and a bang, the hash and the, the exclamation point. And the kids asked, is there any way that we can make it do something else? And I said, well, let's see. So I read around a little bit and found that if you go into the Plymouth directories, I think, you can find the boot-up themes in there. And what we did was just copied one and then hacked it to use a different image. And so each of my kids had a personalized boot-up theme. And they loved that. When they booted up, they saw their image instead of some other. That's the kind of thing I don't think it's even possible with Windows. So that was one of those moments, uh, kind of a, a teaching moments about the greatness of open source stuff that you can get in there and change stuff around to suit yourself. Now, you also spent a little bit of time, not so much lately, but you were for a while working on learning some Python, right? Yes. How did that go for you? What, what was that like? Um, it was it was a while back, but and um, I couldn't really do so much advanced stuff as I wanted to. So I stopped doing it, but recently um, I've come back and started doing. I've come back and I've started working with Blather, which my dad what? has talked about in an <laughs> earlier episode. Yeah. So who is it that created Blather? The great Jezra. 
Jezra's name is revered in this household. Yeah. So yeah. So what kinds of things? Do you, oh, by the way, if you're if you're curious, what we did for him to work on Python, and I actually worked on it with him too because I didn't know any Python. All of my scripting has been in Bash. We used a book called. Hang on. What what is that book called? Invent your own computer games with Python. Second edition. Yeah, invent your own p- computer games with Python by what is his name? Al Swigert. And it's pretty cool. It's a book that you can actually read for free online. But we ordered a copy in uh, paper format, and then went to the website and downloaded some of the scripts that he gives. And we made it through a few of the games, and it was pretty fun. One of my proudest moments in this whole process, though, was when, like, one morning you got up and just wrote out on a piece of paper, essentially, a Python program. Do you remember this? you remember what your program was? Oh, yeah. Um, at that time, I was into a series called Redwall, and I created a Redwall game. Mm. A very simple red wall game, but still a red wall game. Mm-hmm. I believe it. Um, I believe that you had to choose a cabinet, mm-hmm. and if you ch- and depending on which cabinet you chose, it randomly selected an ingredient. And though I never finished it, you ha- you were supposed to collect all the ingredients. Uh huh. So we learned a little bit about arrays of objects that would be chosen and so i'm probably going to use the wrong terminology here but um you know that actually wasn't the one i was thinking of do you remember you you got up one morning and and made a timer do you remember that that would count down oh, yes what was that about um i'm not really sure but i made a timer so i was just thinking that it would be useful yeah so what he did was he wrote out on a piece of paper python code that uh, he thought would make a timer that would count down, I think, just from 60 to 0, and then do something at the end of that time. So it would count off 60 seconds or something? Yes, I believe it would count, it would count down an input time and then beep. Okay, so you, the user, could input the time you wanted. Yes. It to, oh, right. So it would prompt you for input, and you would type in how many seconds or minutes. I can't remember. I believe it was minutes. Okay. But what was so impressive was that the code that he wrote out, I took a look at it, and it looked pretty good. And I said, well, why don't you type this up in your text editor? And so he did it, and with very minor fixes and modifications, it worked. Uh, like, almost on the first try. It was really good programming. So I, I was really proud of you for that. That was cool. And what did we end up doing at the end of the time? Was did it play a sound or flash the screen or something. I don't remember. I believe we had it play a beep sound. Yeah, some kind, some kind of audio file. We made it play an audio file. And, um, yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. So what kinds of things do you do with Blather? It's been a couple of weeks since you've fooled around with that, but I remember for a while there you were scripting and making it do stuff. What, what do you like to do with Blather? Um, I've made... I've made it do several basic things. For example, um, I've written I've written out a script that says email Jezra. It opens Thunderbird and enters in Jezra's email for me. Nice. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So uh, with one command, email Jezra, it'll open it up, all ready to type in the subject line. And uh, I don't know, have you used that very much? I know you used it at least once. 
Yes, uh, I have yeah. used it at least once, but most of the time, um, I don't really have a reason to email Jezra, <laughs> so I don't really use it that often. Yeah, I understand. So whatever, what other commands have you come up with for Blather? I've come up with the basic um, open terminal stuff, mm-hmm. um, except, except I did run into a problem. I put in, I put in the command to open terminal. Turns out you should you should put in open terminator. Yeah. Because. Yeah. Because that's the terminal emulator that you have installed. Um, you could, if you wanted to be able to say open terminal, you could install a, you could make a symlink, uh, which is uh, like an alias in the uh, program directory that will link to terminator. And of course, you could also. If you say open terminal, that can be your, your voice command, but then, of course, in your um, executed command that Blather runs, just make sure you put terminator instead of terminal. Is that what you ended up doing? Yes, that is what I ended up doing. Ah, okay, so you're smarter than I am, then. You, you figured that out. <laughs> and also, I worked with the physical Blather um, window. I made it so that it um, closes Blather and then opens a new window, and then I modified it, so it so it closes bladder, bladder, runs new corpus dot sh, dot shush. Yeah, the, the shell script new corpus, yeah, that's the one that will update the language files, yes. And then reopens bladder, so you can use the new command you just put in. It's so funny that you're saying bladder like that, because that's what I always say. Because, um, why do we say bladder instead of blather? Um, our, micro- our microphones happen to have a quirk. Um, when, they, when we say blather, we think, they think we're saying bladder. Yeah, I think it's not even the microphone so much as the speech recognition engine, the Sphinx thing. It, just, it has a hard time distinguishing between the TH and the D. And so I've just by default now say bladder and make it recognize that instead of blather. As do uh, I. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, so yeah, uh, you're the one who came up with the idea for the. You know, I'm always restarting Blather because it needs to run the language updater script. And I th- it seems like you're the one who said, "Dad, why don't you just make one of the commands, uh, shut it down, run the script, and then restart it instead of having to say." shut it down, then run the script, then say restart, you know, you, you helped me automate it and make it more efficient, so thanks for that, man. Well, actually, I thought I put it, I thought I put it together. Yeah. You probably did, and then I copied you. Yes, you did. <laughs> man, listen to him. I got a copyright. The, I should, yeah. I should, I should start copyright, copywriting no, these man, things. Man, but that's not in the, the Linux way, the free software way, is just to share it, oh. and not worry so much about who gets credit, although okay. you should get credit. Um, so another thing that I wanted to talk to you about that, that uh, seems like it would be really of great interest to hackers is this um, hobby that you took up a couple years ago and didn't get to do so much this last year, but really seemed to want to, the blacksmithing. How in the world did you get started as a kid doing blacksmithing? Well, I went to... Um, so that to, festival at KDN? Yeah. Yes. I went to a festival, and I saw a blacksmith there, and I thought it looked cool, so um, I applied for lessons, mm-hmm. and he sa- and he said yes. We got started that winter as it was very very hot then, mm-hmm. and um, I've made several things. 
a nail, which I believe some of the listeners listeners have. Well, Inway Bill has one of your nails. Uh, yeah, yeah, we sent one to him. So why does he have you make nails? What's what's the the reasoning behind making nails? I've noticed that you made a lot of those. Um, it's very basic, mm-hmm. and it kind of is a warm up. Right. You have to make a we make a couple nails before you start the lesson. So how do you make a nail? It's pretty easy. You heat you heat up one end of a long metal strip, and then you hammer it down, and then you flatten it out on one on one. And then you hammer on one side a couple times, mm-hmm. flip it and hammer on the other side, and basically draw it out until it is at a until it is at a point. Mm-hmm. If you've ever seen a blacksmith nail, you can see what I'm talking about. We'll put a picture of one in the show notes of a couple of your blacksmithing creations. How's that sound? Great. Yeah, so you've made uh, numerous nails. You also made a candle holder, uh, a couple of different kinds of candle holders. Um, I've made, no, actually just one kind of candle holder. The I guess a sh- the chandelier would count. Well, the, yeah, that chandelier thing I would call a candle holder. But then the candle holder that's got the uh, the curly thing at the bottom and then the point sticking yes. up to hold the candle, that thing is awesome. And what else did you make? A meat turner for grilling steaks and stuff. And then at my request, I made, I designed and built a pancake flipper. Though, alas, we cannot use it because it's made out of metal and it would scrape the bottom of the pan. Oh, yeah. That's too bad. But it's beautiful. It um, has kind of a swirly heart-shaped design, and we'll put in a picture. Yeah, yeah, we can put a picture of that, too. Maybe what we'll do is set up a gallery of your stuff on my pictures site and then link to the whole gallery. Um, so what what's the most fun thing about blacksmithing? Um, it's really... Well, um, it's really an art form, and I just seem to have a way with metal mm-hmm. for some reason. And it is, And it's just... Um, I just seem to have a way with it, mm-hmm. and because I have a way with it, I enjoy it more than other art forms. It's nothing to do with uh, getting to hold, hold burning, glowing hot metal. And it has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that once it's cooled <laughs> down enough, you can stick it in water and see all the steam rise up. Yeah. What's that called? Quenching it. Quenching, yeah. When you've got the uh, thing, you're ready, you're done hammering it out, it's glowing hot, you can... Stick it right in the water and go. Whoosh. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Though yes, though I did think it would make a little more steam. <laughs> Maybe if you got a really big piece, it'll make a lot of steam. Well, if it was glowing, I think it would make more steam. Yeah, blacksmithing is pretty awesome, and not many kids do it. There's that one kid, uh, Mr. Delahousie, has one protege who's now 17 or 18 years old, who's really good also, and he started when he was nine, like you. Well, actually, I started at 10. You were 10, yeah. Um, Anyway, okay, so anything else to say about blacksmithing? No, not really. No? Okay. So you've got something in your hand there that you seemed keen to talk about. What is that? Um, First, can I get started about about another form of hacking? Yeah, go for it. Well, um... What's on your mind? (laughs) I also have another hacking hobby 
designing things. Theoretically, of course, as I don't have the money for hollow projectors and special chemicals. Hold up, what's a hollow projector? A projection that doesn't need a surface, that doesn't need um, a surface mm-hmm. to go upon. So it's like a hologram, like yes. in Star Wars when Princess Leia appears out of um, R2D2 and says, Help us, Obi Wan Kenobi. Kenobi, you're our only hope. Like that? Um, <laughs> a little bit. It's a bit more like the one in Wally, where it is a 2D image, I believe. Oh, okay. Interesting. So, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, you don't have the money for hologram projector thingies and. So, um, I just make theoretical designs. And mm-hmm. I am holding a visual aid, which I will post a picture of. Mm-hmm. And as did I, and as I do not have the materials to put together a real visual aid, I have made this one out of Lego pieces. Legos, yeah, hackers love Legos. Why do you think that is? Because they're the because they're designed to be hacked. That's right. Take them apart, put them back together. Uh, yeah, so he has here a device that has four arm-looking things that kind of fold up and go towards the center. It's an octagon shape with a circular thing in the center. So what is this thing? It is a new breed of phone. Hmm. Doesn't look like a phone. That is because it is entirely new and has entirely different needs. Mm -hmm. As instead of using a touchscreen, it uses depth sensors and overlaid holograms. You lost me. Um, Overlaid holograms, what's that? As I told you, um, most holograms are 2D images. And if you create a picture with with something clear, with clear edges and something in the middle, and you get about 100 of those, and you put them on top of each other, Mm -hmm. you can make an image. Okay. A 3D image. So, basically, the same thing happens. There are a whole bunch... Of hollow projectors on these arms, mm-hmm. and they project at angles, and they overlap to create a 3D image. Awesome. And the depth sensors in the middle use, um, can tell, which, depending on which depth sensor detects you, it can see which direction you're coming from, and how far away you are, and it can see, and it can see, and therefore it can find out how hard you're pressing by mm-hmm. how close you are and where you are by by um where your finger it mm-hmm. by um which one is picking you up so you're saying that you control the thing by moving your hand around it yes like, it's kind of like a touch screen without the touch without the touch okay boy um do you remember when we were at the little I don't want to say museum, kind of like the little science activity center in Tennessee where Grandma and Grandpa live, and we played with the theremin. Do you remember the theremin? It's a, a musical instrument that's got two metal things, one of which sticks up, and you play it by moving your hands closer and farther away. No, I don't remember that, but, I've, but I have read about it. Apparently mm-hmm. it is like the only musical instrument that you do not that can be operated without physically touching it. Yeah, you, you don't touch it at all. You, one 
uh, one thing controls the amplitude or the, the volume, and the other controls the frequency, the pitch. And so you move your hands to control the frequency and amplitude. And uh, it sounds like you've got a similar kind of deal going here. You never touch it, but you're able to control it anyway. Yes, it is a lot like that, except instead of changing pitch and volume, it is connected with mouse clicks hmm. and dragging things and okay. making images bigger. And it is overlaid with um, picture, with um, the hologram setup I talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. So it is a lot like that, except you can actually see what you're supposedly touching. So theoretically then, how do you make a call with something like this? Um, basically the same way you would make a call on a touchscreen phone, even though it doesn't have any call buttons. Mm-hmm. You go into, um, you just, it projects um, buttons, and you mm-hmm. just touch the, bu- the projections, and it dials the number. Hmm. So it seems like with, with something like this that's such a radical departure, maybe we can even get rid of the whole button paradigm. Maybe there's no need for buttons anymore. Maybe you can just think, call mom, call mom, and it'll know. And then suddenly a hologram of your mom will appear talking to you. What do you think? Well, um, <laughs> I'm not really sure how to get past that um, annoying skull thing. So I'm not really sure <laughs> how... get into the skull. So I'm not really sure how to get visual images without intensive surgery. Oh, okay. We which can't. they have actually started... I have seen a video where someone controls a, com- where someone um, moves a mouse around with their brain, mm-hmm. but it looks very uncomfortable as they have something, pl- as they have something plugged into the top of their skull. Yikes! Yeah, we haven't hacked into the brain yet. Although on our trip to New York a couple weeks ago, you got to do a virtual open heart surgery, right? Tell yes. us, tell us about that. How was that? Um, it was very, it was very interesting, though it wasn't really as realistic as I thought it would be. Hmm. Um, Where was this, by the way? This was in New York. At, at what was, This is New York City at Sony Wonders, right? Is that what yes, it was called? Yes, Sony Wonders Technology Lab. Yeah. How was that? Did you like it? Yes, it was amazing. Hold on a sec. Um, I have a list of the things that they okay. were there. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, so while... My son's sister and I were at the Metropolitan Museum of Art checking out the masterworks by Vermeer and Van Gogh and Monet and all those kinds of things. My son here went with his mom over to Sony Wonders Technology Lab and uh, checked out stuff there. He decided that on this trip he wanted to see some kind of new stuff and not look at a bunch of old stuff in a museum-type setting. So they found that... It sounds like a pretty cool place. I did not get to see it. And it's free. The Sony Wonders Technology Lab is free. But you do have to have tickets or uh, some kind of verification code or something. You have to make arrangements in advance. You can't just show up and hope to get in. But um, his mom found it and made arrangements for them to go on that day. And they went and had a good time. So now he's got the paper. What all did you do there? Um, We had SWTL diagram diagram, whatever that is. I can't really remember. SWTL. Uh, if only we had an IRC channel with listeners live commenting upon this. Somebody might know that, but that's okay. Go ahead. What else? Um, signal stations, mm-hmm. where um, 
It teaches you about how signals are transmitted, mm-hmm. and you actually got to transmit a picture of yourself onto a giant screen in the corner. Crazy. And then there's something called any anytime anywhere, and after that, nanotechnology, mm-hmm. which didn't really have anything to do with technology, more just nano. <laughs> so what about nano? It explained what nano means, which is kind of boring. And <laughs> okay, that's fine. So what else? Um, after that was virtual surgery, which we already talked mm-hmm. about. And after that, we programmed a robot, which was kind of a disappointment as it didn't really work out. Oh. This is the kind of thing that happens when you're experimenting. Sometimes it just doesn't work. You have to try again. And after that, we built a racing game, though though, um, that didn't really work out either, as (laughs) I couldn't do the controls properly. Oh, dear. But you had fun anyway? Well, I kept crashing the car, so... That's pretty fun. Yeah, but not if you can't control the car to crash it. Yeah. So what else? Then I did the animation studio. Mm. I got to look in on how animation works. Mm -hmm. And after that, there were other things that I did not do. Um, There was this dance motion capture thing. Is that one of those things where you wear a suit that's got little sensors all over it or something? About the same thing, except without the suit. Oh, good. After that, there was this HT... And there's this HTV studio. HDTV? Yeah. HDTV studio. Mm-hmm. After that, the movie maker. And something called In the Game, meaning I got to go and play Lego Batman on a PlayStation. On a PlayStation? Yes. Um, it is... Oh, that's a Sony product, of course. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so it doesn't... It's not really surprising that they would have a PlayStation. It is Sony Wonders, after all. Um, what else? Um, music mixer is that what that says yes and then music mixer which um i saw was not available for some reason or another so the only part of this that i actually heard about after you were done was the surgery so was that uh, what did you do that on was there like a touch screen or something or Um, how did that work there was this little ball thing on connector thingy majiggers Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> and you moved it and you moved it around pressing in and pulling out pushing it forward and all these other directions it was like a 3D joystick if you will mm-hmm. and um it didn't really work out too well apparently it's a very new technology and they haven't quite perfected it but um i managed to cut through the rib cage properly yeah yeah but i didn't really get to enjoy it as i just was moving around at that point and, oh okay yeah and after that um, I went, I went in, and cut a slit in the heart to yeah. stop it beating, so that I could perform surgery. And after I'd cut it open, I put a tube in, mm-hmm. which I had the person on the computer thing do, as I could not do that. Okay. <laughs> and um, after I did that, the heart stopped beating, and I was able to go in and cut something else open. Okay. And then. I had, wait, no, I don't think I cut anything open. I put a patch on something and then tried to sew it, which didn't really work out either. <laughs> but somehow your patient survived, correct? Yes. For so, by some miracle, my patient survived. I wonder if they actually have any patients die in that, in I that don't think so. virtual surgery. That would just be too disheartening for the kids. 
I'm sorry, your patient died. That's too bad. I want to try again. Uh, so, you would you recommend that place for, for people who've got kids about your age? Yes, I would. Interested in science and technology. And they actually had holograms there, they were, though they were in boxes, and mm-hmm. I couldn't really see them properly. And they talked about new technology. Apparently, they've invented biofuel batteries that apparent that you can like pour sports drink in and use it to power a fan or something. Crazy. You know, I just heard a story on NPR News a couple days ago, maybe last week sometime, about some researchers who are building batteries out of wood. That sounds like a biofuel of some sort as yes, well. Yes, it would work as a bio- biofuel. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Well, do you have... Um, oh, I, I wanted to ask you one more thing. You are a huge reader, and you've been reading, man, thousands and thousands of pages of books. So do you have any summer reading recommendations for kids of our HPR audience who are into science, technology, fantasy, adventure, that kind of thing? So many. The Temerar Cycle, which is for adults, so you should probably... Um, read it aloud to them and filter out the unsavory parts. <laughs> There's some swearing in it, but uh, that, that might not matter to some people. You're 12, and, and we trust you with it. You hear, hear much worse at school, <laughs> I think. So that's the Temeraire series. What is that about? Uh, donkeys or something? Um, it, is set in the, it is set in the Napoleonic Wars. So it's not about donkeys. No, it's not about donkeys. <laughs> I'm just being silly. And the plot is that this sea captain, William Lawrence, is on an English vessel, and he's going around, and he finds this, and he captures this French ship, and he opens up the cargo hold, and he finds a secret door in the cargo hold, mm-hmm. and he finds an egg, a dragon egg inside. And as dragons are very valuable... He has to have it harnessed, meaning someone has to put a harness on it and gain ownership of it. And as it is a dragon, the person who harnesses it, who harnesses it, has to live away from civilization. And they don't really get much luck with women because they're <laughs> they're stuck with a dragon for the rest of their life. <laughs> yes. So big downside, okay. but the dragon, who he names Temerer, comes out really cute, and my sister. Who, uh, who it, who cannot read it because of the swearing and and such. Um, my parents are reading it aloud to her and filtering out the swearing and stuff. And she and likes it too. She huh? really enjoys it, and she thinks Timur is very cute. Yeah. All right. So we've got a reading recommendation. We've got other, anything else on your mind before we call it a day here? About 500 other reading recommendations. Ah, well, you have to start your own podcast for the reading recommendations. You'd be good at that because you read so many things and uh, have all kinds of opinions about them. So, anyway, thank you so much for chatting with me here. Son, I will not say your name here. All right, maybe I should say it so I can bleep it out later. Okay. <laughs> How about we say a fake name just in case it doesn't bleep out properly? Okay. Thanks a lot. Nice chatting with you. And uh, maybe we'll do it some other time if we get a a good topic here on HPR. You want to say bye to our listeners? Bye. 
You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binref.com. All Binref projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Share Alike, 3.0 license.